0: My name is Oliver. I'm a sophomore at the University of Michigan, and I'm building a million-dollar sex chocolate business.
1: You're listening to the Next Generation Podcast, weekly interviews with the most interesting and successful 20-somethings out there.
2: Oliver, we are excited to have you on the show, man. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks so much for having me on, fellas. Of course, live from LA NFT week over there. Uh, (laughs) we're, We're excited to dive into everything, man. I feel like this is one of those episodes where, like, We've had guests on before that work like small businesses and do random software things. And like, you've kind of heard of the stuff before. You're like, oh, you're, you know, you're running like a dry cleaning business or, oh, you, you have a software business that does email automation. Like that we've heard of that kind of stuff before. Very rarely are you bringing on people who are selling sex chocolate. So um, I want to start off this podcast with kind of getting into like your background because you are, correct me if I'm wrong, are you 20 years old? Yeah, I'm 20 usually people who start their first business start off trying to sell things like t-shirts or like let me help you build your first website and things like that and selling those kind of services if i had to guess my guess is that this is not your first entrepreneurial venture like i'm guessing you didn't just like first off begin with sex chocolate like you seem like kind of hustler likes to go and get his hands dirty and start some things yeah. what were some of the businesses that you started before actually working on tabs
0: yeah absolutely uh I definitely have a similar story, like you said, in terms of, like, I sell t-shirts. Uh, my first business was, uh, when I was in third grade, actually, believe it or not, I started this little project, it was called Pencil Insurance. I don't know why pencils were very valuable in class or in my school, but uh, they were. It was kind of like a, a commodity. And uh, a buddy of mine and I came up with this idea of where basically people would pay us, like, one to three pencils a week. And if they ever lost one, we would replace the pencil to them, you know, free of charge. And we ended up recruiting like an army of uh, sales reps that, you know, got involved. All of my friends and my friends are friends. And it was like a huge operation. And some of my like high school friends still to this day are like, "Yo, like pencil insurance, pencil insurance. But that was kind of like my first like little, I guess, experience. Um, and I've kind of had that entrepreneurial bug ever since I was a young kid. Um, you, you've definitely yeah. gone the
1: unique route, though. I, I don't think I've yeah. ever heard of anyone who's got a pencil insurance I've business in my life. I've never heard of sex chocolate. I love yeah. the uh, ingenuity here and the uniqueness. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. So, so then let's dive into the the current business. What what does that look like? Yeah. I guess, from an original, you know. Sure overarching did you have an idea i don't even know how do you do product testing for any
0: of this stuff like what, sure. what's the a to z story there? the product testing yeah serious. well to like to take a few steps back like i mean there's definitely a lot of time that went from pencil insurance to uh you know tabs chocolate so I, I would say like my first like real like business was when i was a freshman in high school um i think i was about like 14 at the time and i saw the fidget spinner trend explode in my classroom and you know everybody wanted one and It just happened to be that, like, my school was, like, one of the first places where this viral phenomenon kind of broke out. And, you know, I saw it. I was like, I can make these. I can sell these. So I convinced my grandpa to loan me, like, 500 bucks. I bought a fidget spinner. I bought a rubber mallet. I turned my my basement into a little sweatshop factory. And every single, you know, night I'd be, be, you know, producing these spinners, hammering in the skateboard bearings and selling them to my buddies. Similar to, you know, the fidget spinners, you know, back in the day um eventually kind of tapped out the uh the high school space eventually tapped out like the middle school space and the elementary school space so then i started knocking like door to door uh to local mom shops yeah with fidget spinners trying to get them to you know carry and buy like 20 spinners at a time um eventually like i kind of saturated like i guess the in real life world um even started doing like events where i'd man a booth and you know, let kids customize their own fidget spinners. We did like these crazy bar mitzvahs and parties. They would pay us like two K a pop, like for a night, and it, so it was like crazy money to me at the time. But yeah, so like, long story short, like that was kind of like you know my first real business. um And after after selling in person, I was like, yo, I'm gonna throw these online. So I put it on like eBay and and Etsy, and then like that opened me up to the world of like uh, you know D to C, um and I was like, oh, that was magical, you know, like sending out a couple fidget spinners, like running to the mailbox and, and putting them in the envelopes and sending it out and waking up to, you know, the Cha-Ching or like the, the $30, $40 like kind of, you know, wire into your account. Um so like that was like my first entry point of like I guess the online uh ecosystem. It's it's that's so about uh it's, well yeah, sorry to go
2: say it's so funny hearing that story from you because Gio and I actually had a very similar like I haven't really told you anything about Gio my background at all. Right. Basically we we ran an Amazon FBA business in college where we would sell like these like cell phone accessory like phone pockets essentially. And yeah. the first order that we did from overseas was like a 1000 something units. I think we want to say it was 2000 units. Um and we just like go around campus like selling it to all of our friends and our friends being good friends like would all buy them from us for like 5, 10 bucks whatever. And then like we sold like 75 and we were like, we're kind of out of friends. <laughs> we're, we're, like, right, we're, right, we, right.
1: we showed up to the cafeteria with the trash bag just full of these things, trying try, try to sell them at like dining room tables and everything. And yeah, you quickly tap out the uh, the friends and family and student market. But then we ended up selling, like, I want to say like 30 grand worth on Amazon
2: that first year. And then like, it was like, oh shit, like strangers are buying this. Okay. This opens up a like, whole
0: opportunity. So I completely resonate with that story. Totally. Totally. And, you know, we also did like some wholesale deals. We sold like, I think a couple thousand fidget spinners to like Scott and ARP, you know, the law firm. They, you know, we, they, we put their logo on it and they would give it away when they went to college campuses, like for recruiting events. Like we were scheming like however we could, you know, to get these out there. But, you know, as soon as like the fidget spinner took off, it also died out. And after that, I was like, all right, like what do I do now? I sold quite a few fidget spinners, uh, made some made some good money. But, you know, I was kind of left with like, look, nobody's buying these anymore. And so I ended up like starting my own little like social media management company. This was like when I was a sophomore uh, in high school. I went back to the stores that I was selling the fidget spinners to. And I was like, look, like I built my Instagram account from like zero to like 8,000 followers in you know, six months. Like, let me let me run up your Instagram pitch. Um, No one will give you the time of day. Like my barber was like my first client. It's like, listen, I'll give you a free haircut a month in exchange for you running my ig page i was like all right like done um and then from there like he introduced me to other business owners around town and you know in a couple of months i had like 13 to 15 little local mom and pop shops and i had like a little photographer that would go around and you know created some, some systems so i had this like kind of mini agency um but you know the problem was was that like there was a high churn rate and the reason why is because there are no metrics or attributions right like you know, I was getting them followers, but like, was I getting them sales? Was I getting them customers? And so that's when I kind of flipped from like the surface level, you know, IG engagement to actually getting to the back end of things, um, you know, Facebook ads, Google ads, because the beauty was that you could track every single website visitor at to cart purchase the conversion value, et cetera. Um, and so like, that's when I kind of made that shift when I was about a sophomore in high school. Um, and I worked on a couple other projects, some drop shipping stores, selling phone cases on Etsy. I, I did that too. Um, you know, what else? I, I ran up, um, the D to C line for a small mom and pop, like fashion boutique store and took, um, I think I drove about like a hundred thousand dollars in revenue in just like two months for them. just setting up like super basic, like email flows, retargeting campaigns, et cetera. Um, And then when I was about a senior, one of my good friends who was head of growth at this company brought me on to run up like TikTok collaborations Um, and we exploded their app. Um, I'm not going to take credit because like there were a lot of other people involved, but like we, we were at like, I think like the number three or four. Um, the social networking charts on the app store. Like number one was like Facebook. Number two was Instagram. Number three was uh, was WhatsApp. And then here was us like this, you know, this tiny app with like, you know, six to eight employees. And I was just like an intern. I didn't have like any position, but like I was grinding day in, day out. I had some of the team of like virtual assistants, um, you know, from the Philippines to, to do the list building and cold outreach. And I would sit on my laptop um, just responding to all incoming mail. And What was cool is that since it was an app and, you know, not, like a website or, or physical product, I was able to, you know, negotiate with an influencer and then have them put out the brand deal the same day. And I don't pay until the influencer puts out the content. And so like, that was so much easier. Now, you know, it takes a couple of days for the product to ship. I send them the product, they ghost me, they steal the product. And so it's, it's a bit of a nightmare now. Uh, but yeah, long story short, like, and that was a golden day of like TikTok too, like nobody was running brand deals. And Every you, you know, you could, you could hit influencers that had a couple million followers and had never even done a single deal before, had no idea what's the price, and just get like you know, pennies on the dollar, which was absolutely crazy. So, that's kind of like my origin story. I know I've been talking a long time. Uh, and then, just to wrap up, real quick, after that experience, when I was about like a senior in high school, um, a kid that I did some business with put me in touch with this 17 year old. Uh, based out of California, who's my now co-founder, uh, Jake Lewin, and this kid was like a really big drop shipper. Had built like multiple stores from zero to six figures, um, sold a couple, and he was drop shipping these leggings that ended up going crazy viral on TikTok. And he was one of the first people to bring them on TikTok, and he brought me on the team, you know, to run kind of day to day operations. I was their only employee, and he treated me like a partner which was really cool. It's funny because my boss was a 17-year-old kid. I think I was 18 at the time. Uh, but, you know, together we ended up like blowing up, you know, the, the viral TikTok leggings, sold about uh, twenty to 25,000 pairs of leggings, um, close to, I don't know, about $800,000 in revenue. And they ended up signing the company. I didn't have any equity. Um, but after that whole entire thing happened, um, we kind of came together and we were like, look, like we need to start a company with two key like things. One, we need to build this product so that it sells itself and and can go viral. And two, we need to have some sort of moat around it. We need barriers to entry. Because what we learned from the leggings was we private labeled it. And as soon as we went viral, there were 80 copycats the next day that were, you know, hit up our supplier and were selling the same pair of leggings. And while, you know, we made a good little bag, we had no, like, we had no intellectual property. There was nothing proprietary about what we were doing. And so we kind of came to the conclusion that if we hit those two kind of key points of criteria, we can really build something big here. And then that kind of led to the genesis of Tabs.
2: That's a great background story. And that's kind of why I wanted to ask that question early on was
0: because you hear of
2: people like having success, whether it's on TikTok or selling these products through these e-commerce brands. And in my personal experience, almost never was it their first idea um usually they went through iterations and i feel like you know you kind of talked about things that like worked and didn't work like the social media management didn't work because you couldn't attribute revenue to it so then you went to the stuff that you could attribute revenue to and then you got into like using the influencer stuff and learning it there like that to me and i feel like anyone who i talk to who ever wants to go and start a business and they work themselves up so much around like what's the right idea how to go and start the business i'm like dude just start something sell anything because even if you go and spend the next six months brainstorming that idea and really thinking through like how to go and sell it all chances are it's probably still going to fail and so you just need a lot of at-bats to actually find the thing that works and then you know whether it's your second third fourth or fifth venture that you actually get into a now you have way more experience doing it b you now kind of like know what to do right which i guess is kind of the same thing um but i don't know from from my perspective it's always like the people who wait to start things Never are the ones who find that thing that can ultimately be really successful.
1: And I think on on that note as well, you also end up with a probably a significantly better business on your third and fourth time. To your point, the moat, we ran into the same issue with the phone accessories. We'd come up with a new design. It got to the point where within a week, there'd be a copycat seller with the exact same design. It's we we're never going to start a company. (laughs) Generic product, right? But you you kind of really only get that ingrained once you've actually seen it happen, you see the issues, you see, you know, I have no intellectual property, I have no way of stopping someone from copying me. And now you probably end up with, you know, your fourth, fifth company like yours that you've, you have really interesting marketing, really interesting branding, and you've created this entire niche that no one really knows about, but would be really difficult to copy at this point. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm curious, when, when, when you guys sat down to, you know, you had some of these specific, things that you, you know, you wanted the moat, you wanted to make sure people couldn't copy you, et cetera. What were some of the other ideas you guys are maybe looking at um, in terms of potentially launching and in different industries? Like, did you know it was going to be an e-commerce brand?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, we knew, well, I knew it was going to be an e-commerce brand because like that's like the world that I live and breathe. And that's like my bread and butter, like social media, social media, marketing, like, you know, selling shit online. Like I've been doing that since I've been 14 years old. And like, I'm obsessed with it. And not just from like the business side, but also from like the consumer side too. Like when I, like I I watched like a lot of YouTube, like I spend a lot of time like on TikTok. I spend a lot of time on Instagram and not just like mindlessly scrolling. Like, yeah, I do that too. I'm not going to lie. But, you know, on the back of my head, I'm also subconsciously thinking about, like, well, like, how, 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 is, how are they marketing this? Like, what's the angle that they're taking? Like, how could I leverage this to apply to, like, my brand or, you know, whatever it is? And so, like, it's, like, almost like a, like a sixth sense that, like, I've developed over time and, like, like, an instinct almost where, like, I just have, like, such a good, I think, like, read on, you know, the game. Um, so yeah, I definitely knew it was going to be like something e-commerce related or you know social media marketing related. Um, in terms of like you know other things that we were brainstorming and doing, um, I was going to launch um, a hot cocoa bomb uh, company, believe it or not. Um, have you guys seen the hot cocoa bombs? They're like these you know chocolate spheres, and then there's a cocoa powder on the inside. Is it is it like a bath bomb but chocolate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a bath bomb but chocolate. You know, I saw my my local bakery selling these. And they were like flying off the shops. They couldn't keep them in inventory. And then I went to do some more research and it seemed like it was this crazy viral thing that was popping off, but it was only being sold by local like mom and pop bakeries. So I was like, yo, like if I could have, you know, brand around it and had like national distribution, like I could be like, you know, the cocoa bomb like seller. And my former boss, not co-founder, fifty-fifty partner, Jake, was like, "Come on, bro! Like, you're better than like Cocoa Bombs. Like that, like that doesn't that doesn't like do you justice. Like, you can build something bigger than that." And I was like, "Well, like what? You know, I I, I I've been toying around with some different ideas or whatever." And at this point, I already like built out the full site for the Cocoa Bombs. I was like securing, but uh, so I ended up scrapping that. Um, and Jake was was running this 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 other like startup. It was called Pored, Um at poured on, uh, Instagram, although I think he may have wiped everything, but he created like a, uh, a decaf, um, brew like coffee that actually had, um, supplements and ingredients to calm you down. So it's kind of like the antith- antithesis of a coffee. Cause he, he figured that a lot of people drink coffee for taste, but they don't want the caffeine. Uh, and you know, they might want to actually be relaxed. And so he, he kind of like ran with that and built out an MVP and, was testing that out. Uh, he didn't even actually buy any product. He just like completely like whipped up a store, like photography or whatever, and then was driving traffic. And then anyone who ordered, he would refund them just to like see like, a, you know, a proof of concept there. But he ended up kind of, you know, throwing that on the back burner. Um, and then, you know, about late December, 2021, uh, Jake sends me a TikTok and I go to take a look and it's a sex chocolate um the brand is called sexts s-e-x-t-z and the tiktok has like 14 million views like two million likes and i go to do research on the company and at this point i don't think they were being sold online uh, their packaging and branding was just like straight ass like it just sucked like it was terrible they had like 80 pieces of chocolate they were like different flavors you know we ordered it the chocolate tasted gross um they they have no social media presence i don't even think they had an instagram account they i mean they weren't running any ads because you know i checked um they had they weren't on tiktok and so we, I, I go to dive into this i'm like yeah like this is a really sick idea clearly the viral potential is there the execution is just off like way off so you know i end up calling jake we end up talking we're like yo yeah, like this is a really, really sick concept. What if we were to bring our you know, e-commerce background, our social media kind of like marketing, like knowledge and like did this the right way and like really like blew this up. So instead of selling in brick and mortar, like sex shops scattered around the US, we went D to C and we built like an online kind of powerhouse. Instead of selling like 50 chocolates in a box, we sold three. Uh, this creates like scarcity and value. Uh, we sell it we, we put in a super sexy and luxurious box we make it like cool and romantic we made it taste better we use different ingredients improve the formula like we basically like reinvented this product because we saw like damn like if this was able to get 14 million views and be like that shitty imagine if we did this the right way and actually like applied you know all the principles and mechanisms and systems that we spent the last couple years developing to sell stuff online to blow this up because clearly you know, It has potential. And that video that went viral for them was just a random customer that posted. It was just some random girl. What if we actually like worked with influencers, you know, and and content creators to pop this online? And um, that's kind of like the story of Tabs.
2: That's amazing. And I want to dive into specifically how you kind of got started, because when I was doing the research for this podcast, I saw the domain obviously registered in like 2021. It sounds like it was towards the end of 2021. And then I saw some kind of like screenshot that you posted on Twitter where it's like from January 7th to the 14th, you also have like $73,000 in chocolate. And I don't know if those are pre-orders or if those are just like right. orders or what. So I want to yeah. get into like the marketing tactic of yeah, all that in just a little bit. But the question that I want to ask first is everyone that I know who runs a food-based D2C brand secretly like and i guess this is not everyone because there's so many exceptions to this but most people i know they secretly kind of paid it because selling food is really really difficult uh to the yeah. standpoint of like like any product yeah. that i would sell if we were selling cell phone accessory cases just to like continue with that example guess what a year passes we can still sell them whereas like yeah. for you guys like the manufacturing has to be compliant right. with like fda standards right. you have to go and like sell them at a certain time otherwise they go bad like do you like, what, what are some of the shitty parts of the, this business? I guess it's just, like, the, the blunt asking.
0: Okay, yeah, there are, there are a lot of shitty parts of the business. But, like, you know, at the same time, it's, like, that's, like, the double-edged sword, right? Like, so you're saying, like, look, like, the product expires. It's hard to manufacture. But also, like, you know, we get repeat customers. It's a consumable. So, like, that's an amazing thing that you're not going to get, you know, having a phone case that sits on your shelf for two years. So, like, yeah, like, with every con, like, there's also a pro. But, yeah, there are definitely a lot of, like, really fucking shitty parts. Um, I would say the biggest is the fact that since we're so edgy, we're constantly getting censored. So recently our Instagram account got pulled, um, like just completely taken down. So now I'm battling with Facebook support and trying to do everything I can to get that back up. Uh, We have influencers that whose posts are just starting to take off. Like you could see it just starting to crack going from 1000 views to 20,000 views to 50,000 views in minutes. And then boop, like the video gone, like copyright or not not copyright, but rather um, community guideline strike. Uh, I had a content creator that was running up a secondary page for us that cracked more than like 15, 16 million views in literally a week um, stopped. TikTok stopped, like, you know, they wouldn't let him post anymore. And then eventually took the, the account down completely.
2: So that, like, I just want to clarify on those points too. Like, yeah. that's because it's the sex element, not because the child, right. not because
0: it's food. Right yeah right. Right. well yeah that, that's the sex part but in terms of like the business like what's so hard about it Like, yeah dude like it's it's shitty it's definitely it's definitely you know something that we have to deal with another big thing is that like when we were starting off we couldn't run any ppc we couldn't run any ads and at first we were like yo like this is kind of going to be debilitating right like we're so used to like i mean for the leggings brand at least um uh, we spent a couple hundred thousand dollars on snapchat ads and um you know, we had over 300 million impressions, like Snapchat ads was like the bread and butter to our business. Not, not being able to run PPC, we thought was going to be like, pretty brutal. But it actually ended up being like a blessing in disguise. Um, the reason why is because it made us focus on the fundamentals. It made us focus on organic, um, which I'll touch upon later. In terms of like other like shitty parts about like, you know, the food. Uh, I mean, there are a lot. People just see a box of chocolate. I mean, there are like nine different parts um like moving parts um to, to 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 create the final product um there's like the custom molds like they have to be custom virgin polycarbonate molds um, you know there's the custom wrapping that goes around each chocolate there are multiple suppliers um to get the, you know the right supplements for the chocolate there's the chocolatier there's you know the custom chrome um polymaler which creates an embryonic effect trapping you know the heat in so that you know the chocolates don't melt like there, there are a lot, of, a lot, a lot of moving parts that people don't see. And it's, it's very, very difficult to coordinate. Also, I mean, you guys have an econ background. Like, if one single thing, um, you know, if there's a delay on one thing, the whole entire thing is delayed. So, like, it's tough. It's definitely tough.
2: I just want to clarify, too. Uh, when you say chocolatier, is that the person who actually makes the chocolate?
0: Yeah, yeah. We have a chocolatier in Naples, Florida. Um, my new favorite my new favorite (laughs) title for any job role yeah like oh yeah Yeah. what do you do for a living i'm a professional chocolatier yeah there you go no he's he's great he's awesome um and then of course too like chocolate melts man like you know chocolate melts so like that's something that luckily knock on wood we haven't really had to deal with just because we've been in the winter like we just launched you know like three months ago to like live to the market but like we've been lucky where it's been the winter and, and so we haven't had any problems but like Yeah, I'm scared for the summer when we send the box and it comes and it's just like melted goop in the box, like, and that's probably going to be like a part of the reality of running this business. So, um, just got to do everything we can to mitigate all these downsides. Um, But you know, with all that being said, like there are also a lot of pros, right? Like the reason why we get taken down is also the reason why we go viral. You know, yeah, like food expires, but you know, at the same time, people want to repeat orders. So, like, like, look, like it's definitely not a all bad, but a lot of challenging challenges to deal with for sure. Before we dive into some of the marketing stuff, that sounds really interesting. Right. Could you give an idea of the
1: scale you guys are at and you know the short amount of time you've been running the company?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh so we launched December 20th of 2021. Um, so about like three, what, three months ago, I'd imagine that is, right? Three months ago. Um so the first week. We had our first couple uh, influencers that went live, like a you know a thousand dollars on the first post. We were kind of disappointed, honestly. Uh, my partner thought that we were going to sell out in like our first week of business. We had we had, a, we had some pretty high expectations, maybe even unreasonable expectations. Um, second week, you know, we have a couple of other you know influencer posts that go live. We're we're doing okay, and then we come up with like this kind of repost strategy. Where we start downloading um, the the influencer posts in an HD file without the watermark, and we start we start throwing it on um, every single platform you can imagine: Facebook Reels, Snapchat, um, YouTube Shorts, um, Instagram Reels, um, Pinterest, Idea Pins. Basically, every single platform we we take we take the content, we repurpose it, and all of a sudden, one day a Facebook reel pops off and gets like a couple million views. And we do like 10 or $12,000 in sales that day. And we're like, holy shit. And then the next day, we do like 10 or $12,000 in sales. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, just like randomly, like some videos just sort of popping off. And we basically had like a VA who would spam all these different platforms day in, day out with every single video we had in our kind of arsenal that was downloaded and repurposed. Um, and in about three and a half weeks, we sold out of our initial run of 3,000 units, which was about, uh, I mean, it's $30 a box, or so $90,000, about $100,000, including shipping, handling everything. Uh, and, and that was cool. Uh, then right afterwards, uh, we had an influencer post. Uh, her name was Masi Wolf. Uh, she posted about us, and it got 6.6 million views. It was crazy. That day, we did $50,000 in sales off of pre-orders, which was like absurd, like just absolutely absurd. And the craziest thing was that, uh, you know, keep in mind, we're very transparent when we're doing pre-orders. Like we're not trying to dupe anyone. We're building a long-term sustainable brand. This is not like some drop shipping scheme. And so we say like, look, like orders are gonna take four to 12 weeks. Like when you go onto our website or at least at that point of time, you had to actually confirm that you understood that like orders are gonna take four to 12 weeks. We want it to be overly communicative and overly upfront. Uh, and so our conversion rate, not surprisingly, was half of what it should be. So that fifty thousand dollars day that we did, I think it was forty nine thousand dollars. You know, with Massey Wolf, really should have been like a hundred thousand dollars day. But you know, it is what it is. Uh, and then, and then uh, you know, again, we were doing about like ten thousand dollars a day. And then a couple, and then a week later. The mossy wolf just pumped again for, for whatever reason. That video just kind of hit the for you page again and did like thirty thousand dollars in a day. And so we ended our first month of January with about two hundred and eighty thousand dollars in revenue, and uh, we spent less than like two thousand dollars in marketing total. So uh, yeah, okay. it was it was it was it was pretty crazy. It's so That's crazy.
2: It's so interesting hearing you talk about this because the one question I had that you just kind of answered was mer typically with a lot of these e-commerce brands you'll see companies trying to aim for like a three a four a five mer which is like mer basically for anyone listening just stands for like marketing efficiency ratio uh right. typically the past term was really like ROAS, return on ad spend you spend one dollar how much are you getting back now because the facebook attribution becomes much tougher most e-commerce brands from my understanding at least use like this mer ratio to uh to basically go and determine like cool spent one dollar Across you know TikTok, Pinterest, uh Snapchat, and I got four dollars back. I have a four MER. Right. You had like what was it 130
0: MER? Yeah, like we had a crazy like, MER. But like the reality is, is like that's why it's important to like, look back, it's like this is why we created this product was because we wanted to create something that could go viral. We're not running Facebook ads, we're not running PPC. And again, remember what I said, which was like you know the detriment of not being able to run like you know PPC actually became our biggest threat because it forced us to go down this route which we probably wouldn't have discovered or you know have focused so much time and energy into. and we've been like pretty successful like knock on wood because of that.
2: You talked about conversion rates on your site being half because of the pre-order. So right. now you've got some really cool stuff and your site is absolutely on like if, like if anyone wants to go to check it out just tabs However, you can't check it out on desktop. It's a mobile only site and the desktop kind of redirects you with a QR code and everything. So I've got a couple questions from a tactical standpoint in terms of like how this and that converts on the website. But the first thing right off the bat is, is there a reason that you don't let people go and order on the desktop?
0: Yeah, uh, it's funny because people are always very interested about that. Straight up, um, the reason why we were mobile only was just because we were so strapped for cash and um time when we were starting tabs that we kind of sat down and we were like look hey instead of you know defraying our efforts and spending 50% of our budget on a desktop and 50% on a mobile and, and you know allocating it that way let's be real like 90 more than 90% of our traffic is going to be coming from mobile why don't we, why don't we put all of our eggs in that basket and really create like the best customer experience there. So like, we were like super, super mobile centric. And then when it became time to do the desktop, like we had, we we had like some designs, you know, for the desktop, but it didn't look great at all. And we're like, you know what, why don't we just put like a, a redirect, a QR code, make it cool, make it fun um, to, to push them back to mobile. Uh, and it wasn't, it, or our thesis actually ended up panning out. Like, I mean, more than like 95% of our traffic is going through mobile. Not surprisingly, everybody's finding us on TikTok. Um, and so, I mean, now we're developing a desktop site just to have it out there. Um, but yeah, there's no like tactical secret where it's like, oh, like you know, other companies should be doing that. Like, no, we just didn't have money, honestly.
1: Is most yeah. of your
0: traffic still coming in from TikTok essentially? Yeah, so traffic's definitely slowed down quite a bit. And the reason why is because we don't want to be pushing until we really um, get our systems um, in place. So, you know, month two, February, we did about a hundred thousand dollars in revenue and uh, month three, I think about like uh, 40 to $50,000 in revenue. Uh, And so like right now we're just like riding, you know, the organic wave without really working with a lot of influencers or content creators. We're trying to make sure that we we have everything in place. Our email and SMS flows. Uh, you know, we we fulfill the whole backlog of more than I think nine thousand people that have pre-ordered. Uh, we're we're basically waiting until we we, we produce our next round of uh, um, manufacturing and, and we have more boxes on the shelves until we really start kind of pushing again. Um you know. on y- on your actual website
2: and product page, there's a section that basically says, I, I gotta imagine you do inventory runs in 15,000 or something like that, because on the actual wow. product page, it says like, hey, only like 7,000 or 15,000 left remaining or something. I would love to know, okay, two questions, I guess. One, is that, a, is that an app or is that just a custom build?
0: Yeah, it's custom coded.
2: It's custom coded, okay, cool. And so I'm assuming that just gets counted based on like 15,000 minus every order or something like that. Yeah, okay. yeah. Makes sense. Um, The second question that I had here, was do you notice a conversion rate difference when that thing is 15,000 to 15,000
0: versus only a thousand left of the 15,000? It's impossible to say, really. Um, We just don't have enough data to to make conclusions. Like when we had 15,000, we had Massey Wolf gotten viral and, you know, like so many people like flooding to the site buying it. So like, it's impossible to like really kind of, um, I don't know, make a conclusion based off of that. And then, you know, but that is something that I spoke about with my partner, which was like, yo, like, obviously, we want to create scarcity and apply like marketing principles in order to, um, you know, squeeze as much revenue as we can. But at the same time, we're not building a store, we're not scheming here, like we're building a long term brand. And so that was a discussion that we had was like, you know, you see a lot of stores, what they'll do is be like only 15 left or, you know what I mean? So like kind of create that urgency. So people like, you know, buy. And we decided to go against that. So like our numbers are fully accurate. And it's not so much about the conversion, but rather just more information for the customer. And when we do get to those lower numbers, I'm sure it will have a positive effect on the conversion rate.
1: What are you looking at in terms of buying inventory without really being able to predict some sales, right? I think yeah. that's the really yeah. tough part about TikTok is yeah. you're selling stuff on Amazon. You just look at either what you sold last year. I mean, it's we, we messed up an in inventory all the time and it was probably the, one of the more easier platforms to at least predict inventory and sales. Right. How are you looking at that from the standpoint of really having zero idea when things are going to blow up and how much you're going to sell through?
0: Um, well, quite honestly, I think things blow up when we want it to blow up. We have a super viral product, and it's just about, you know, whether we want to activate the right influencers and creators and, and people to really start, like, pushing content. Um, so, like, right now, like, we're not doing anything. We're Again, we're just, like, kind of, like, getting getting all of our things on the back end together and, and making sure that everything's, um, you know, to the best of its abilities but, and, and making sure we have box on the shelves. And then we're really going to start like hitting the ground running in terms of like inventory and forecasts and predictions. Yeah, I don't believe in that either. And I know that we've kind of validated um, the product. And so now it's just about spending every dollar we have into getting more boxes. So uh, we recently placed an order for about 120,000 boxes um, and uh, I think about 100,000 poly mailers, um, these custom poly mailers that we send each box in. The reason why it's slightly lower is because we have a lot of customers that order two boxes, so we don't need, you know, one-to-one there. Um, But, yeah, now it's just basically a race of of how many many boxes we can get on the shelves. Um, And then in terms of, like, you know, virality and TikTok, like, I do believe that, like, it's a science. Like, yeah, there's an element of getting lucky, but it's a numbers game. It's all about the number of, you know, swings at bat that you have. So my goal is to put out as much content, good content as I can every day. And I can promise you that if I put out 20 pieces of great content every day, one will hit the For You page running. Um, and we can talk about like tactics there. I have a, I have a quite a, a system that I'm building out. Um, yeah, whatever you guys want. Man.
2: Yeah, I, I definitely want to dive into the tactics, but I just had one quick question first around like, you talk a lot about doing all the organic stuff and not doing the paid media for now. Is that because you just can't run paid media right now?
0: Well, well, right now. Uh, I mean, in the beginning, yes. But also, keep in mind that we were running off of ad accounts with zero dollars in spend and that was registered to my name. Right. So, like, if I if I work with an agency that has you know a connection with Facebook and is a big spender and has reps behind us, like, yeah, I'm sure we can run paid media, um, and we will eventually. Um, but at the same time, like we can't keep up with demand organically. So like, why would I pay, you know, a high customer acquisition cost when my, when my cat can be like pretty much zero to like, you know, a couple of dollars. Um, so right now it's kind of just about organic. And then eventually we'll turn on the jets on the paid side of things too, for sure.
1: Well, uh, quick
0: side note, what's, what's the, um, shelf life right now? Yeah. Um, I believe it's, I believe it's around 12 months. Although uh, quite honestly, I'm not, I'm not too sure. I got to I got to double check on that. Um, what I will say is that um, like, as soon as the boxes hit our, our warehouse, they're selling right away. So that's why I'm not too worried about that. And then in terms of like the customer having the box, I do believe the information's um, on the the nutrition panel, but yeah, it, it, I think it's about a year. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah.
2: I know. um with CBD brands they have a really tough time selling all through Facebook ads and through yeah. any kind of paid media channels but i actually just learned about this one company called lucid which is like l u c y d it's wearelucid.com and it's really interesting because you go to their site and you're like well how are they getting away running like cbd brands with using the word cbd in the app right. and stuff and you're like you go scroll down and you look at like their local list of all the clients they work with And it's every single CBD brand on the market. And you're like, okay, how does this work? Turns out what it is, is exactly kind of what you said from an agency standpoint, where if you sign up for them, you basically have to commit to running over a million dollars of Facebook ads every single year, or Pinterest ads, or Google ads, or whatever it is. And if you spend that amount, then you kind of get that special differential. Exactly. And so like, exactly. I'm literally on their website right now and I'm looking at like the 40 biggest CBD brands that you can see on the market and all of them are able to run ads that say "totally you know, pure CBD or whatever because they spend
0: enough. So it's a differential treatment. Exactly, exactly. And like, I mean, it's it's not like groundbreaking. Like we've seen this forever, right? Like if you have an unseasoned account with $0 in spend, it's not even somebody like, Disapproving you, it's really just the algorithm being like, you know, you're nothing to the system. But as soon as you start spending bigger bucks and you know you're running with an agency that has the relationships and you have a rep in your corner, it's a completely different ballgame for sure.
1: So once once you get all this inventory in, it sounds like you have a very specific right. strategy on TikTok, and you look at it more from a you know how many how many swings at, at bat you get, but kind of in a strategic standpoint, right. you're not just kind of all over the place. Um, Can we maybe dive into what, you know, what some of those specific tactics look like and what you guys are going to get ready to launch once everything comes in?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I I love working with like micro influencers, like TikTokers with 200,000 followers to 600,000 followers. For me, like that's kind of the sweet spot where I think you're able to extract the most value from a brand perspective. Um, A lot of these people haven't done a lot of brand deals, um, you know you're able to get really good deals and really good terms. And, you know, also like you're not paying for the brand name. You're not paying because their name is Charlie D'Amelio. You're 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 simply paying for, you know, the distribution and the network that they have. And so as a result, I think like that's kind of like the that's the area that I focus on. Um additionally, like these people like don't have egos. You know, they're they're actually like very nice, like, you know, humans as opposed to some of these, you know, other influencers that, that are a little larger and you know, stuff gets to their head and whatnot. Just Um, scumbags. I don't want to say scumbags. And it obviously depends on on the person, but, you know, some of them are are not the greatest I understand
2: the ego piece, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, But long story short, uh, what I always do is I I do two TikToks, um, you know, per person. And then I evaluate, like, A, do I like their content style? Um, B, like, what was the performance in terms of views? Uh, Do we see any kind of, like, impact on sales? Um, oh, and let me backtrack um, the way that I the way that I collaborate with these influencers is I never give them guidelines or tell them what to say I let them you know, create, I let the creators create as, you know, the reality is, is that they're the ones that built the followings. They're the influencer, not me. They know what resonates with their audience more than I do. And I tell them all of this too. So they have full creative control and freedom. And then they send me a video draft before it gets posted. And then that's when I go in and say, look, like, this needs to be changed. This needs to be changed. This needs to be shorter call to action here. Maybe no call to arch- action depends on the video um, because like, I have like a really good eye for that stuff. Uh, and I've hmm. actually had influencers. Sorry, go ahead.
1: I, I just want to clarify. So essentially, you're saying, like, hey, influencer, a come up with whatever you think is going to resonate most. Right. Do some free products. Shoot me over two video ideas that you think is going to work right. for your audience. That, that's kind of the first segment right there. And then, right. then you kind of give them suggestions. Exactly. Okay. Exactly.
2: Right. I think um, there's a famous quote from the Jim Shark founder. I'm, I'm totally blanking on his name right now. But it's just every time that they started using influencers originally, his motto to them was just, Hey, do you just do you and Gymshark? And Hell yeah. I imagine it's probably what you're doing as well.
0: Hell yeah. Yeah, that's it's that's that's pretty much like my my same philosophy. I'm like however you want to like however far you want to take it, like that's all you just don't get just don't get banned by TikTok, please. Um, but like look, I'm never gonna put like creative like controls or restrictions on them. Like at the end of the day, like they know their audience best. Like there's a reason why they have six hundred thousand followers and I have zero. Uh, but what I will say is that, like, I do think it's important that you review the content once they make it, and, you know, just shape shape some things up, whether it's making it shorter or faster paced or a better hook, because I also have an eye for, like, the organic part, and I've had influencers that are like, damn, like, like, you know this better than I do, and I'm like, yeah, man, like, I've been working with a lot of influencers, like, I live on, I live on these social media platforms, too, uh, so like, that, I think that part is also, you know, equally as important, and then what I do is, if I have an influencer that 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 that's good, first of all, I tell them to refer all the all their friends to me because I want to collaborate with as many influencers as I can, and it takes a lot of work to establish like one brand deal. A lot of a lot of influencers don't respond. A lot of them steal your product and never post. A lot of them ghost you, you know. So it's 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 a, it's a long process. So so whenever I have one good influencer that has posted for me and does a good job, I tell them to refer all their friends and their influencers, obviously, and then B. I actually get on a meeting with them like it's like this, you know, on a Zoom or on a Google Meet. And um, I basically bring them into the company. I tell them, like, look, like this goes far beyond like a transaction. And this goes this is not like you against me. where like, I'm trying to get the lowest rate and you're trying to get the highest rate. And we're going to go both go our way. It's like I want you to be like, you know, an ambassador for tabs. I want to bring you into the company and I want to work with you however you want. Whether it's a monthly retainer, whether we make a custom promo code or tracking link, and we can do an affiliate rev share type of deal, How, what, like name what you want to do, and like we're gonna make it happen. And so then I get them to like make, make, you know, content for me on a monthly reoccurring basis that uh, they post to their own brand's page, about like one to four TikToks a month, so we don't burn out their audiences. And then what I also do is I have them actually make content for me for my brand page to post, or actually have them run up secondary accounts like subsidiary accounts so i'm in the process of creating a network of like 30 different tiktok accounts run by influencers you know on that side and then there's a whole other piece where i bring in creators so like there are a lot of e kids um, that are actually like around my age that run up like these tiktok accounts and and drive drive traffic to like, their drop shipping stores or to their own brands they're like agencies that, that run ugc and some um, instead of like you know just having them make content and posting a bunch of different content on one page i believe that that stifles the page's performance because there are too many cooks in the kitchen and tiktok will start to recognize somebody's style if you have like five different kind of pieces of content made by different people like tiktok doesn't know like who to push like you know the content to so instead i create you know an independent page for each person that i work with and sign them on to do anywhere from like you know 10 to like 90 tiktoks for me a month and um my goal is to become like a content machine um you know every day i want to have like you know 30 to 50 pieces of content posted um good content too which that, that, you know, either me or people from my team will be reviewing and making sure that like the quality's there and working side by side with these people, you know, we have, I group chats, like fuck email, like fuck, like Slack, all that shit. Like nobody looks at that. Like, no, nah, like everybody checks their texts. I have like, like literally like, you know, scores of I group chats with me, you know, one of my employees and the influencer directly. And then we like change the profile name to like a black, a black background with the white tee. so I could easily tell, you know, whether it's business or, or not. I really need a secondary business phone, is what I need. But long story short, like that's kind of like the system that I'm developing and pioneering. Um, and I, I kind of, I kind of was running that a little bit in the past. I had like three different content creators that I was working with, um, and it was it was working really well on the organic side of things. And you know, I'm hoping that like we're going to be launching this whole entire kind of, uh, I like guess, strategy or whatever you want to call it within the next month or so. So we'll see how it goes. Um, but I think it's important that you move your reliance from just working with influencers to bringing stuff in house so that like you can really like reach that scale that you want to.
1: You're essentially a content machine that sells sex shop <laughs> Yeah, Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, quickly on like a very maybe technical side, how are you getting, you said, you know, the funnel sounds like it, that there's a pretty high drop-off rate on, you contacting an influencer, them not responding, them responding. So you you kind of like an outreach funnel there. What does that actually look like in terms of populating it with, hey, we're going to reach out to these 5,000 influencers. Are you scraping? Right. Are you hiring someone to come up with these lists? Are you emailing all of them? Are you DMing? Like, what what does it actually look like on a very, you know, technical side of how you're getting your message to them?
0: Yeah. So I want to hit them however I can hit them. And I'm trying to optimize for scale. Um, so yeah, I have a team that that is scraping TikTok and, and compiling lists of influencers, collecting their emails, their Instagram ads. And I have a team that you know, does cold outreach and, and 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 you know negotiates with them on whatever vertical possible um, email campaigns, DMs. Um, and then we also rip like you know secondary platforms and services. TikTok Creator Marketplace is a big one for us. Um, and then you know one of the cool things about TikTok Creator Marketplace that we've been seeing is that um, when when they agree to collaborate with you, it actually it gives you their phone number and their email. So then we'll actually text the influencer that we that we're collaborating with through tiktok creator marketplace and you know bring the negotiations over there and all the contact through there because again like i'm a firm believer in taxing i'm a 20 year old kid like these influencers most of them are like you know 20 year old kids too like we don't we don't really use email like we're not very responsive on that platform but everybody is on their phone 24 7 and so um, that's kind of like my like main medium and the way that we handle most of our business but really however we possibly can like we'll be hitting them up. And if they don't respond to us via text message, you know that they're going to be getting an email. And if they're not responding via email, you know they're getting the DM too. Like basically like trying to just maximize like the touch points. And I want to
2: quickly wrap things up here now with just thinking about it from like a product opportunity standpoint. This is kind of like where you started talking about when you were originally brainstorming all of these products. When you think of Tabs Chocolate today, are you thinking of it as a sex company? Are you thinking of it as a chocolate company? Or are you thinking of it more as like, a functional foods company
0: yeah those are those are good questions man i don't have a a certain path or like you know future in my mind um there's especially like with you know the day-to-day craziness uh, that i'm going through um so like right now what i'm just focusing we have a cash cow we have an amazing product that people love i'm focusing on you know making as much of these as possible getting more boxes on the shelves and, and getting them out to people. In terms of like, I guess like more long-term vision, I see like three main avenues where we can take this. First is become, you know, the sex shop for Generation Z, kind of like you were saying, right? Um, coming up with innovative, really cool products to spice things up in the bedroom while still being cool and sexy and destigmatizing a very typically taboo industry. <laughs> Number two is what you, also what you mentioned, becoming that kind of functional food brand, huge possibility. Number three, eventually kind of want to venture off maybe into like a little bit of CBD, maybe, you know, testing with like mushrooms. I know like psilocybin's become a big trend. Maybe eventually like when, you know, THC becomes legalized, like we'll have all like the foundations and frameworks there to become like some massive edible company. Who knows, right? I'm not too focused on the long-term vision right now. Um, really kind of just trying to take advantage of the now because I mean, things change so quickly and, like things are working so well right now so it's just about like can we keep our foot on the gas
2: oh that makes 100 percent sense i mean yeah. you guys are realistically 90 days into this business so like right, I, right, I wouldn't right. expect y'all to have like this crazy answer i think when yeah. i like read about your brand and like go to your website and all that stuff i th- personally think the functional food stuff could be really cool because yeah. y'all could kind of do what the fitness industry has really done from like a bodybuilding and like a workout standpoint where like they make protein cookies, right? They, they take, like, cookies right. and stuff them with protein. Or, like, they take fruit punch and say, hey, now we just, like, loaded this stuff up with, like, creatine and amino acids. Like, yeah. so you can kind of take take stuff that people are already enjoying and, like, add another function to it. Like, I think we were riffing on the totally. beginning of this call of, like, sleepy peanut butter, right? Like a scoop of right, peanut butter right. before you go to bed to, like, knock out. Like, I think there's oh, a yeah. lot of, like, really cool avenues that you can kind of take all that stuff. You just want to
1: be a lead more peanut
0: butter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Absolutely. It kind of reminds you of like what Monk, you guys know Monk, like the uh, the, the diffuser. It's like a sleep vape Yeah, it's like a sleep vape, but they started off with a sleep vape similar to Cloudy. Uh, shout out John Robb, uh, one of my buddies who started Cloudy. Um, but it's similar to Cloudy, but then they, they created different like flavor profiles and different moods. So, you know, they have like the recharge caffeine vape, they have like all the different, you know, lines, like tying different vibes. And flavors together, yeah, it's definitely a, an opportunity for us to tackle as well. Um, on, we'll, see. we'll
1: see. On on a marketing side, I'm I'm very curious. On TikTok seems to be going well. You probably have enough bandwidth for the next year to just kind of keep blowing up TikTok. What like is there a sex influencer market? Can you start like sponsoring people on Pornhub on on OnlyFans? Right. Like, is there? You're right, you're right. Have, have you guys thought about that at all?
0: Yeah, we have thought about that a little bit. Um, We ran a little tiny bit of ads, you know, like two hundred dollars on Traffic Junkie, just like you know, dipping our toe in the water. Um, The thing is, is like I don't want to. The whole point of tabs is really like destigmatize the taboo industry. So I don't know if I want to necessarily like connotate my product with like you know that whole sexual world. But like, there's definitely like you know some ways that I think we can do it, you know, in in a fun way. Uh, So like right now, I'm actually collaborating with um, some. With, with an agency that represents OnlyFan girls and OnlyFan guys. Um, and they actually, believe it or not, drive a lot of their traffic through TikTok. All of their, you know, influencer only fan people have like big TikTok following. So I'm working with them. Um, I'm working with them to make content for me and for their own pages. Uh, eventually, like, yeah, like might do some, I don't know, like maybe it's like an amateur porn. Or, like, who knows? Like, I don't know. To be honest, like, I'm not a, that's, that's not really, like, a world that I even really want to go into either. Like, I never thought I would be in, like, the sex industry either. Like, I'm a marketer is what I am. Like, I'm an e-commerce, like, marketer. I saw, like, I saw a really interesting opportunity to create, like, a super viral product. I don't want to become, like, some, like, you know, sleazy, like, porn guy, like, at all. So, like, I don't know. I'm kind of avoiding that. But, like, hey, look, like, if the opportunity there and, and whatnot, like, I'm definitely willing to, like, explore
2: Either the, the Hugh Hef of chocolate or the Willy Wonka of sex, one or the other. But yeah, um, I love it. I'm, I'm love excited it. to see where you take this brand, brother. Um, if people want to go and follow along the way, buy some tabs or just check out the stuff that you're working on, where can they go and check you out?
0: Yeah. Um, so tabschocolate.com is our website. You can go take a look there. Uh, we're at tabs on Instagram and TikTok, at T A B S. And then I'm on Twitter at Oliver underscore underscore B one awesome thanks for coming on thanks so much guys
2: if you thought today's episode was awesome we would love it if you would leave a five-star review on the podcast either on spotify or apple Podcasts. it makes a huge difference and lets us get cooler and cooler guests for future episodes